I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you, your team to pick out one student, okay? You're going to describe them, their age, their gender, their weight, their height, any characteristics that are unique, you know, like uh, athletic, quiet, uh, socializer, small for their age, big for their age, whatever, tall, okay? Number two, analysis of resources. What are their resources? You want to know what are their external resource support systems. And this is in your book on page 21, 20 and 21. Then want to analyze them. What are the issues as you see on page 15 through 17? And then last but not least, what are two or more strategies you're going to use with that or could use with that student? That You can do this in faculty meetings when you have them. You can do this in your team meetings. It helps you drill down on what is it that we need to do for this student to get them to move, to get them to move along the continuum. So this becomes part of it, uh, the, the conversation about how you marry the student to the instructor and figure that out. One of the things I'd want you to just write what you know about the student, okay? You, you can't, you haven't seen them, you don't know. What do you know about them? in any way at all i mean do you do you have any idea about their their uh gender their uh race do you have what do you know about the students you can put in there and you must if they're online you probably don't know very much about their resource base right okay so what i'm going to say is if you have students you don't know enough about right now can you choose your sixth grade team in particular because you haven't met them necessarily? Can you choose a student you had last year just for the purpose or a student you all agree on for the purpose of this activity? Teachers don't have enough time to do everything they've been asked to do right now. So what I'm just trying to figure out is how much can you find out about your kid? Because that becomes important as you start to match learning objectives. Let me go one step further with you. How many of them are you not able to make contact with, would you say? Well, I say you guys got pretty good odds, about 10%. That's good. That's better than I'm hearing a lot of places, okay? So that might be, as we work through this activity, a conversation as well. How do you go about uh, knowing some of this about your students? Because one of the reasons, I'll, I'll say this point blank. One of the things I've learned over the years is this, is that as schools, we've, we've had a model where the kids came to us and we taught them and then they left, okay? And it would be analogous in a sales department right now for a sales department of a company to say, we're going to learn all about our products. We're going to go out and tell you about them, but not know anything about what their customer wants or needs. And so one of the ways that I predict that schools are going to end up changing in the next after COVID is that we'll have to know more about our kids uh, in order to uh, touch base with them. So one of the questions is, how do you get to know that? Uh, so that would be a part of what we can talk about in this conversation. But you have to know where they are inside their heads in part with the emotional. So. Let me show you this activity where you start to drill down 
let me have you drill down with a kid you have some way of knowing, okay? And so I want to show you how you start the process you use to start figuring out where you start your interventions to move them along, okay? And then we're going to talk about how you weld content in there. Um, so step two is if how much do you actually know about their resources? This is page 20 and 21. Then how do you analyze their issues? And that's page 15. To, and some of your students, you're going to say, we, don't, we can't even contact them right now. I don't know this. Here's what I'm guessing. And then two or three strategies that you, you would like to use with them. And then we're going to start with payoff for strategies. One of the things... I've recommended, and I'm going to recommend this to you for your consideration. You, some of you won't want to do it, and some of you might. But one of the things, I worked with an online virtual school in Georgia two years ago, and they had 14,000 kids in this online virtual school. And they were asking them, how do we establish relationships with these kids? And so one of the things I recommended is this, that you do, you as educators do a 30 second video on, this is my favorite food. Send me a video of you with your favorite food. And a lot of times what you'll start getting, not from all of them, but several of them. And if you have a pet, you show them your pet. And what happens is it starts breaking down. You learn more about them because they start sharing because you shared. Um, so I would say that that might be one of the considerations there. So what I'd like to do now is choose a student you know, or choose one you've had in the past, or choose one you have right now uh, to work through this process, if you don't mind. Um, part of the issue is, um, as we start looking at processes that work to, to change this uh, uh, trajectory. Okay. Part of the reason for doing this activity was to get you familiar with the book, okay, and a process you can use. But I need a um, feedback from three or four groups uh, anyway. Um, so I need volunteers. Uh, did you find a student? Were you able to analyze the resources? Um, what did you think that student's issues were? And what strategies might you use? All right. So one of the things. We, he's under, he's under on page 15 under, he does not hand in work. He does not hand in work, okay? He just doesn't hand in the work. But one of the things, kids like that, let me ask you this, is he really smart? Right. And so one of the things I've learned about kids like that, let me ask you one more question. Where are his eyes? Very bright math. Okay, were his eyes defocused? Was he staring at you defocused? One of the things is, is that he, somebody wrote here, he was very bright in math. I would have been very curious about, um, I would have had a conversation about, did you have a conversation about him? I, I, with you did, I bet you did. Since says he struggled for me in honors ELA. So language is not his thing, right? Did he hand in work in math? He's struggling, okay, it says he's struggling in honors science now. Okay, I'm gonna let's keep him in mind because I'm gonna come back to um, turns in work late. Okay, I want to come back to this kid. Thank you for bringing him up because I want to talk about what has to happen inside his head first. Um, 
Yeah, but once in virtual, he doesn't do any work at all. And does he have siblings, do you know? If he's got a lot of siblings, and is he in the middle of the pack? Yeah. Then one of the things is that a lot of times um, in the hard research, if they're in the middle of that pack like that, a lot of times they're uh, quote unquote emotionally lost. And so what you are, the family she said is very supportive. Uh, I'd be interested, but let's, um, can I come back to him? All right, who else wants to report out? Group one will volunteer. I wrote in here that has a sister with leukemia. I just have to say, when you have a sibling who's who's got a serious illness, it impacts motivation in this way. Why should I bother doing this if I might die? Yes, and there was a recent death also. So what you're looking at is emotional issue here. And what we know is that the most impactful time for death to impact a kid is between the ages of 12 and 15. And uh, that's wonderful that she's in commercials now and cancer-free. But yeah, it really impacts a lot about why should I bother if I'm going to die? Uh, it's a huge issue, yeah. So who else, one more group, who wants to report out on this uh, process? One of the things I wanna bring up that I hadn't, that's not on this grid, but cause you all are middle school, is this whole thing about going through puberty before or, or earlier than or later than your peers. And I want to, uh, it's an emotional poverty book too, which I just published in August. But I want to say a couple things about that. In the hard research, if you go through puberty two years ahead of your peers or two years after your peers, it has significant emotional impact and it's pretty uh, damaging. What we're finding in elementary schools right now is that kids are going through puberty at third and fourth grade. And so when you describe him as smaller than, when you described him as smaller than, it strikes me that he may not have gone through puberty yet. And that's, so let me say what the outcomes are on either side, before or two years, be, or more before, two years before or after. One of the things that happens is that the outcomes for males and females are equally uh, not so good. One, for both males and females, they tend to fail a course or two at the ninth grade which typically derails them from graduating. Number two, with females, it's connected to early sexual activity, early pregnancy, early abuse, um, cutting. For males, it's connected to early criminal activity, early drug activity, early gang activity, early sexual activity. And so one of the things is a huge problem. And we know that if there's more stressors in the household, they tend to go through puberty earlier. One of the most interesting things in the research was this one, that it tends to happen more in households where there is not a father. Now, there was not um, research about why. It was just a, a statistical correlation. Um, and the thinking was that it, there may be more stressors in those households. Um, I, I have to say one thing about this thing about adolescent brain development, because this puberty thing brought it up. See, puberty is the signaling when the brain reorganizes itself, and it reorganizes itself from the back to the front. But what happens in the male brain is the male, this in male and female brains, when it reorganizes, this is the last thing to develop, okay, the prefrontal cortex. 
And in male brains, it develops on the average two years after female brains, two years later than female brains. So part of the issue here is what's going happening in uh, puberty and reorganization. And um, I, I can talk more about that in another session, but it's huge in what it does to learning too, because the, the brain is pruning itself the whole time. And uh, it's a huge issue there. Now, let me just get your feedback from this. Uh, how many of you would consider this process that I just showed you in, to start drilling down on what you need to do for a kid? How many of you would consider this process? And then I want to take you to the next step. It allows you. It is time consuming. And so what I recommend is this. That what you do is you don't do it with everybody. Okay. Uh, you only do it with what I recommend is when you have your team meetings online, you take maybe a kid or two. After you do this three or four times, it's really fast. And you start looking at what you know and what you don't know. Uh, and how am I going to marry this kid with what I have to teach them? It's very interesting when you ask students to assess themselves. I'm going to send a PDF which is a close activity, and they get to fill in the banks. And you can give this activity online, and what you ask them to do is fill in the blanks, and it'll tell you a lot about their resources. So I would, uh, I'll send this activity to, we use it at secondary a lot, and they, you can go through and figure out resources. So I'll, I'll remember to do that. But it, it's a way they can self-assess, or it's a way you can know uh, what's happening to them. And there's also, uh, I'll send also a series of questions, checkboxes that you can use against the different resources that they can self-assess, okay? Uh, and you can decide whether you want to use that or not. But that's another thing you could give them as a PDF online to begin to understand that piece a lot better. Now, I want to pick up with you. Once you have this concept of the student, then you have to go to this next place. And I want to now start taking you uh, to this marriage, okay? What you have to be able to do is marry the content you're trying to teach so that it goes in their head so they can get it, okay? Um, so you see, they have an understanding of the, how the world works. Once you get into secondary, secondary is about content. And you get into content, and the bottom line, because we've been trained in our disciplines, we have organized our world around our disciplines. One of the reasons I think middle and high, I've been at all three levels, middle and high school staffs have more difficulty communicating than elementary staffs is because we've each been trained in a discipline, and they impact our thinking. And so we, we have structured it. I want to say how you get how the expertise gets developed. In the process of developing expertise, and I don't care what you're developing expertise in, uh, many of you have started a new hobby, and that's fine. The bottom line is you're developing expertise in that, and you go through predictable stages. The research is that when you're a novice, you are figuring out through stories and experiences what you know. So when I'm working with a beginning teacher or beginning administrator, I'll say to them, tell me a story about the situation you're dealing with, because that's going to be a more accurate way to find out the information than to figure out 
a series of questions. So I ask a story and from that story, I start figuring things out. Just like we did online today, when several of you said, well, what do you do about this? And here's what I've got with my kids. And what are we going to do about this? You're giving me stories. It allows me to move on to points. What happens is people get expertise. They collect their stories and experiences and then group them. Your brain prefers to process by patterning. Your brain is a patterning thing. And what happens is you sort by the patterns. Uh, How many of you are able to predict what's going to happen before it starts almost? How many of you, when we had them in person, how many of you could predict what was going to happen before it ever started? Yeah. Okay. That's because you were, your brain is sorting the patterns so fast, you know what's going to happen. All right. But sometimes you can and sometimes you can't. That's part of the problem with teaching right now. Being virtual has changed a lot of the patterns that we as teachers had. Okay. So you're having to relearn new patterns and sorting. What happens then, based on that, you group them and you sort by criteria. In order to understand, yeah, we are all first-year teachers this year, including me. Okay, I had an online training last week and a half ago that was a disaster because of a tech problem. Okay, so I get it. Okay, yeah, <laughs> and saying the new patterns are not my favorites, and I get that too. Okay, uh, but it's true. So to understand anything, you have to know four things about it the purpose, the patterns, the structures, and the processes, okay? And it's called schema. In the brain research, it's called schema. And you have to have places to put information. And I have to tell you, um, I'm a little distraught because one of the things that happened in Common Core is that schema, conceptual frames you have to have to learn, were never really embedded all that well, okay? So let me give you a couple examples of what I mean. Let's talk about sixth grade math, fifth grade math, fourth grade math. One of the things we know is this, that when you are working on that, the purpose of math, element that math, fifth, sixth grade math, and sometimes seventh grade, is to assign order and value to the universe. We do it in direction, small to large, left to right, top to bottom, okay? The patterns that we use end up being our units. The structures that we use are numbers, time, and space. One of the stories they used to tell in Africa in the Peace Corps in the 1960s is when they would ask the villagers, how far is it to the next town? They would all say a little bit up the road. It didn't matter whether it was five miles or 500 miles. In other words, how you assign value and order in in the universe. So we do it with numbers. We do it with time. We do it with space. Okay. And one of the things we talk about five miles or 500 miles or space or time. And the structures that we use are number, space, and time. The patterns are the units we tend to use. The processes in math, addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. Now, when you get in algebra, it's a different purpose. Algebra is about how you figure out the unknown, okay? But that's not what beginning math is about. Well, here's what happens when we start in a math. 
we jump into the patterns. We don't frame it out for kids so they can't figure it out, okay? They have no idea what this is about. It's just floating out there in the universe, and it usually floats out. So if I were dealing with sixth graders right now, and I was working with basic math, and I had them in person, I would do this. I would take a pizza, cut it in half, because we say, okay, today, kids, we're going to work on fractions again. Well, what they know is it's part to whole. They do not know part to whole or what, okay? And when you are dealing with beginning learners, you have to start at a more basic level simply so you're building in a conceptual frame. So what I would do is I would uh, give, give one kid a half a pizza, give the, cut the rest of them into little bit of pieces and say, here. Well, the first thing the kid would say was, that's not fair. And I'd look at it and I'd go, well, I can't tell the difference, really. So some kid would take that little piece of pizza, put it up against the big piece of pizza and say, look, it's not the same. And I'd say, you know, I can't see the difference. And what would happen then is that you would have a situation where I would just say to them, look, fractions are part the whole of space. So when you get this much pizza, this is the space you got, okay? The number on top is the number of pieces you got. The number on the bottom are the total number of pieces, okay? It's the part you got versus the total number. And it keeps you from getting cheated. You want to know that. So when you get an apartment, how much space did you get, okay? And we use fractions to talk about that. Well, we can, so now they have a conceptual frame. Oh, okay, I get it. Then. They're confused when we introduce decimals. Well, what's that about? Okay. Well, what we usually say are things like, well, you can change them into fractions, to decimals, et cetera, but they're confused. They don't understand it. And so I usually say, I cut up a dollar bill into pieces, give them each a piece of a dollar bill and say, tell me exactly how much you have. <clears throat> and they'll say to you, you can't know. And I'll say, that's right. Decimals are about parts of numbers. When anybody puts a dot in front of a number, that means you only got part of it, okay? And so what you're doing is you're framing it out conceptually. Let me give you another one, chemistry. I know you're probably not teaching chemistry yet, but you're, you're being assessed on some chemistry concepts in eighth grade, okay, in science. Chemistry is about bonding. And it's about plus and minus. Professor Emeritus, uh, University of Chicago, says if you don't understand that chemistry is about bonding, you don't get it. And then I'd say to kids, the periodic table is going to become your very best friend because it tells you all the patterns of bonding. Those numbers there, they tell you the rules for bonding and where it sits on the periodic table, tells you how it behaves when it bonds. It's going to become your very best friend. And then we're going to use equations. That's the process by which we'll figure out the bonding because it's faster than adding it up one by one. And we're going to talk a lot about structures, where it happens, neutrons, protons, vapor cloud theory, etc. And so I'd say to them, it's not that hard, okay? You just, you know, think about it. The bonding, plus and minus, that periodic tables become your best friend. It's easy. We'll figure it out. Well, you framed it for them conceptually now, 
so that they can get what parts they're doing. Um, my son finally figured out trig. Finally helped me figure out what trig was about. He explained it to me in a very simple way that made absolutely total sense. The, you have to have a conceptual frame if you're going to help them understand. I want to give you one more example in poetry, because one of the things that I had a conversation with about was um, the complex texts that were being used uh, in middle school, okay? And one of the things about complex texts, several of them were poetry, and we're going to talk about that in the middle, but kids basically don't understand why they're doing poetry, okay? Uh, they don't understand why that is there. He said, please share that info. My daughter's in trig now. I will. Trig is how you calculate uh, curves. And it is just, he explained it so simply. I showed it to an audience one time and they just went, oh my goodness, because a mother said my kid's in trig and they don't know how to do it. So I'll, I'll send that to you. But the bottom line is they are frames for you to figure out that um, learning. So that becomes, let me go back to my poetry example yet before we go here. So one of the things about poetry is this, that poetry, okay, is about, it is in the language arts under a pattern. It's a genre, okay? Two stories here, why this content comprehension uh, is important. And then after lunch, I have another group activity I want you to do to talk about what has to happen inside a kid's head, okay? But you have to have some way for them to take the content you're giving them and they make sense in their head. Um, I had an English teacher. I taught high school English. I was the department chair. I taught ninth graders quite a bit, okay, uh, and seniors. But I had a teacher come to me and she said, Ruby, there's too much in the curriculum to teach in 11th grade, which it's like IB, except it was AP, okay. And I said, well, how are you teaching it? And she said, well, I, they read a story and then we take a quiz. They read a story and we take a quiz. I said, you're right, there's too much to teach. I said, what's the purpose of language arts? And she said, it's to enjoy literature. And I said, no, it's not. Okay, what is the purpose of language arts? Why do we teach it anyway? Yeah, it's communication, okay? And I said, it always boils down to two things, the listener and the speaker, the reader and the writer, the medium and the viewer. It's always about two things. And I said, look, this is not what you should be doing in language arts, 11th grade. Okay, here's what you ought to be doing. You ought to say to them, I used to tell my students, hey, you're Mr. or Mrs. God. Okay, and you, your job is to persuade this person to think the way you want them to think. Okay, so I said, how are you going to do that? Right? I said to this teacher, here's what you ought to be doing in junior level English. You have them read two stories, and then you say this to them. In this story, the author made you hate the main character. In this story, the author made you love the main character. How did the author do that? I said, if you can't talk about that, you have no idea. They have you. That's the purpose, okay? Let me give you another example. I was with this eighth grade kid in New York City with his father. 
And he, the kid was upset because he had a book report to do uh, on that night yet, of course, on To Kill a Mockingbird. And he could not, he just said, I don't get it. I said, so what do you want to do with your life? He said, well, I want to be a filmmaker, a film. I said, okay, then you need to know about To Kill a Mockingbird. I said, look, you have to ask yourself why, what was the purpose of that book? Okay, and what did the author want you to think when she was done? And I said, you then have to ask yourself why he needed the characters. So why did he need Boo Radley? And and the boy went, well, I don't know why I needed Boo Radley. I said, you need to know that author's purpose. That he, he can't tell that story without Boo Radley. So what is Boo Radley? Why does he need him? He said, I don't know. I said, because he's one of the reasons he needs him. He is somebody who's present but never speaks. Part of the unseen audience of any story. He's there. Okay. He brings the reader back to what's never stated. It's always there. Okay. I said, why does he need the lawyer in the story? Could he told that story without the lawyer? And so we went through the purpose of each of the characters, why he needed that. The author needed that in order to tell the story he told and how he used those people to manipulate the audience. See, that is a conceptual frame. And then when you do that for kids, one of the biggest problems we had in middle school was when I was a director of uh, uh, secondary language arts, we could not get our immigrant children in sixth grade to understand, comprehend literature, and we couldn't get them to write. And finally, I said, okay, we're going to go back to the very basics of a story, okay? And so we're going to ask them to pick out two people they know, describe each of those people in detail, draw them out in a cartoon. Who are those people? And how do they interact? Then number two, the setting. Where do they see them interact? Number three, what's a problem they got that they fight about or argue about or work on? And then number four, what happened first, middle, and end? Okay. And then number five, how do you want that problem resolved? And when they wrote that, their own stories, then we read other literature and said, now, here's this same issue. Here's how it falls out. And what you are doing is building in that conceptual frame. It's called content comprehension. And it's critical for them to be able to take in the information. You're structuring inside their head a place to put the information, literally, if you will, when they begin to marry it and make sense of it. Okay.